John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. John 13, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the living God. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing You do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Precious Lord, we pray now that once more you might help us as we look to your word. Comfort us, convict us, embolden us. We pray that in this brief time, your word would be made known to us, that it would be clear, and that you might cause us to rest in the gospel and give us obedient hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many people are good at taking basic, simple life happenings and teaching lessons. Some people are decent at it. Some people are really good at it. But Jesus was a master of it. In fact, in this passage, there are several everyday common occurrences, at least in the time of Jesus, the first century, that he takes and presses them home both for a short-term kind of life lesson, but also a spiritual lesson as well. I want us tonight to see Lessons at the water basin, the lessons that Jesus teaches his disciples as he takes a basin of water and washes their feet just hours before he would be betrayed and before he would be arrested and tried before he would be crucified outside the gates of the city, bearing the sins of all who would ever trust in him, bearing your sins, Christian, and mine as well. I want us to see these lessons. 
Jesus takes a water basin and teaches his otherwise prideful, selfish, sometimes arrogant, ignorant, self-focused disciples and teaches them eternal truths. Tonight I want us to just see two of the lessons that Jesus teaches at the water basin. Two lessons. Let me give you in advance what those lessons are. The first lesson that Jesus teaches his disciples is that they are washed by Christ. We, as Christ's people, are washed by Christ. Said differently, he makes us clean. But the second lesson that we'll look at tonight is a lesson that he teaches his disciples. And that is that we, they, are called to serve one another. So the lessons we see tonight at the water basin of Christ are that we are washed by Christ and that we are called to serve one another. Let's look then at our text. There's a lot of detail here. And there are a lot of happenings in this passage. We read in verse 1 that it is... Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knows, the text says, that the hour has come when he should depart from his world. And then we're given a very crucial statement before we get into the washing of feet. Notice what it says. Jesus, knowing that he is to depart from this world and return to the Father, then we get this line, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. In the immediate context, of course, this is his disciples, most clearly his band of 12, but likely even those beyond the 12 that followed them. But he loved them to the end. We could spend all night mining that statement for all the truth that it contains. Jesus, when given a people, loves them To the end. He doesn't cease to be working for their good. He doesn't give up on them in the midst of their failures. He loved them to the end. And then verse 2 says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. So we have Jesus loving his disciples to the end, and Judas Iscariot being impacted by the devil, tempted to betray Christ. This is the setting. Jesus, knowing, verse 3, that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God. John, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it clear to us that Jesus knew exactly who he was. And that Jesus knew exactly who every single person in that room was. The bookend of our chapter, if you will remember, is Jesus very poignantly telling Peter, you're going to fall drastically. That's the end of chapter 15. Jesus knows these things, and yet he loves them to the end. And knowing these things, verse 4 says, he rises from supper takes a towel, girds himself, and pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. 
Now, boys and girls, this may sound strange to us. We take showers, we take baths, hopefully semi-regularly. But in Jesus's day, people would travel great distances to get anywhere that they were going. Some parts of the world are still like this. And in those parts of the world, oftentimes people would wear sandals. So they may be clean, basically, from head almost all the way to the bottom of their legs, but their feet were almost always dirty as they traveled. And so it was a custom in Jesus's day when you entered into a house to be given water and a towel to wash your feet. Or there may be in a a home with servants, a servant there provided to wash your feet, not to give you a bath, but to wash your feet. This was the task of a servant, to wash the dirt off of the feet of the travelers. So now Jesus, the master, the leader of this group of disciples. And let's just be clear, Jesus, the master of the universe, stoops down with the water basin and a towel and begins to wash the feet of his servants. Now, I don't know what your reaction would be, but perhaps it'd be a little bit like Peter's. Peter, knowing what it means to have your feet washed by someone, knowing the status and knowing that Jesus is the master, says, Lord, you are washing my feet? You're going to wash my feet? But Jesus doesn't address the issue of who should wash feet in the first century. He goes deeper. Notice what he says, verse 7. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Then Peter says, perhaps in all of the zeal that Peter often had, the misdirected or sometimes uninformed zeal, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Now, the way that the text is constructed, it leads us to believe that Peter is is basically saying, Lord, you're my master. You don't serve me. I should serve you. But what does Jesus say next? Jesus answered him, verse eight, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, is Jesus still talking about foot washing? It seems like Jesus is talking about something else. Puritan Matthew Poole, when analyzing this text, says these words, and I very much agree with him, quote, but Christ seems to take an advantage here from this ceremony of his washing their feet to discourse to him, to discuss with him the necessity of his washing his soul with his blood from the filth of sin and corruption. And of this washing, it undoubtedly is that Christ here speaketh, the necessity of which is very often inculcated in Holy Writ or Holy Scripture, end quote. Jesus is taking the physical task and Peter's reaction. Peter's talking about feet here. Jesus moves in an instant to Peter's soul. Peter's soul. Again, verse 8, you can't really see this in most of our English translations. In the old translations, we used to make a difference with pronouns. But here, Jesus says to Peter, if I do not wash you, the you is singular. Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. 
The reason that the singular is important is because of something Jesus is going to say two verses later. If I do not wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. In other words, the only hope of salvation, Peter, is if I wash you. You have no hope of being clean in your soul if I'm not the one to wash you. Jesus teaches a lesson at the water basin. I'm serving you, Peter, by washing your feet physically, tangibly, in this moment. But the service that I render you ultimately is much greater than that. I serve you by washing your soul in my blood. A water basin. And Christ preaches Christ. The only hope of salvation, friend, is in the washing of Christ. Most of us might think of the washing of feet here. Of course, we do not have Jesus physically here with us to wash our feet. But Jesus takes this lesson of the twelve and says to all of us through Peter, he must be the one to wash us. If any of us in this moment has in view that serving God, being saved, is our doing the task, then Jesus says, we will not ultimately be saved. We do not wash ourselves. We do not clean up ourselves. But the text continues. Then Peter has another impulsive moment. Perhaps you can relate to his impulsivity. Simon Peter, upon hearing the Lord, what does he say? Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So, so Peter's listening. If I don't wash you, I, you have no part with me. Okay, then, then, then wash every bit of me, Lord. Once again, Jesus teaches a lesson. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. Let's stop right there for a moment. There's more to that sentence. But he says, you are clean. The you there is plural. You all are clean. Now, clearly, Jesus is in the midst of washing their feet. How could they all be clean if he's only talking about foot washing? And and what does Jesus mean that he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean? Well, let's start with that one and work backwards. Jesus is again taking the average everyday lesson that people bathe, but it's regularly only that their feet are dirty. So it's it's common that you would have the, the, the soot of this world that's clinging to you as a clean person, washed off regularly from your feet. But what does Jesus mean then when he says, secondly, you are clean. You all are clean. Jesus here is teaching a lesson about the work of salvation. He says to Peter in verse 8, if I don't wash you, your soul, you have no part in me. Verse 10, the souls of every one of you, but one is clean. Because notice verse 10 finishes, but not all of you. 
That's why that opening part about Judas is important. Jesus is saying here, you all are clean. For I have washed you or will be pouring out my blood shortly to secure eternally the cleanness of your soul before God. But Judas is not clean. Once more, Matthew Poole says this. So it is as to souls that are washed with my blood, washed and sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Their state is not to be renewed. They need not be justified a second time, but they will have need to have their feet washed. Listen to what the Puritan says next. In regard of their remainder of sin and lust that is in them, and will be so while they are in the world, and the temptations which everywhere be in the world as snares for their feet, they will have daily need of washing by repentance and fresh applications of their souls to my blood by the repeated exercises of faith according to their renewed and repeated acts of sin. End quote. What's happening there? Everyday foot washing, Jesus turns into a lesson about cleanliness of soul by the blood of the Lamb. And here in verse 10, he says, you are clean. You all are clean. And so you only need your feet washed, which shortly after Christ would shed his blood for his people and his commissioned apostles writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit would proclaim further the doctrines of our faith. We understand that once Christ washes you, you are justified. You are clean. But as you walk the pavement and the dusty roads of Babylon, you will be kicking up in your temptations a variety of sins. You need regularly in repentance and faith, afresh and anew, to come to Christ. But Christ says it's not as though you get saved or cleaned every time. Because you're clean. You just need your feet washed. We see related themes in John 15, verse 3. There, Jesus says this, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. The lesson here at the water basin is that we are washed by Christ. And not that our washing is with water in a towel. That was just a lesson. A physical, tangible lesson which Christ could then use to go much deeper. We are clean and washed by the blood of the Lamb. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but before we leave this lesson and move to the next, who is he speaking to in verse 8? Peter. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Jesus is saying, Peter, you and most every one of these disciples, save one, is clean. Now, that's the backdrop What happens next? 
Judas is identified as the betrayer. He's the one who is not clean. Then Jesus gives a new commandment. And then one that he has pronounced, that is Jesus, as clean has one other interaction with Peter. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. That's not what makes Peter clean. That's not what makes you and me clean. Our desires for the Lord, which ebb and flow, are never the basis of our cleanliness. Verse 38, Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? This takes us back to the foot washing. Your service? Oh, Peter, most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And Jesus says this to one that he has already said is clean. Now, there's a lesson in this for us, beloved. Jesus already knew of Peter's upcoming major sin of denying him three times. And yet here in our text, Peter is a part of the group that the Lord has said has been washed. Now, I know that the blood of Christ has not been spilt yet. We have to think of the work of Christ as one overarching work. So as we can say, the Old Testament saints were saved by the coming work of Christ to include Peter who lived before the cross and after the cross. So Christ says to Peter, you're clean. You're one for whom I will die. And the pronouncement of cleanliness is given to an abject failure. Now put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. Peter has boiling up within him all of this earnest desire, it seems. And Peter, at least until shortly after the resurrection, doesn't get very much right. But there seems to be a zeal within Peter. Maybe you can relate to it. But all along the way, there are these steady messages, sometimes gentle and sometimes quite firm from our Lord. Peter, your foundation before me is not in you. And... Peter, I'm saying these things to you knowing that there's more failing for you to do in the future. (laughs) I don't know how to say this more clearly. You're Peter. That's who you are. That's who I am. We have been washed by Christ, but there are still failures that we will commit Are you ready for such a stern reality? When I say stern, it's shocking. Because we don't often act this way to one another. But Christ does towards us. I am the one who serves you. 
I wash you. You are clean. Knowing all the while that there was plenty of sin that Peter would commit. Let's name some of the sins that Peter would commit after Jesus pronounces him clean with the other disciples. He's going to deny Jesus three times. One, two, three. He's going to to misapply the gospel. It's going to take another apostle to correct him in that. And yet, he's one that Jesus has died for. The lesson at the water basin for us, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus dies for sinners. He saves sinners. He washes sinners. Even sinners who later on will sin. One of the most difficult lessons of the water basin, perhaps, is taking Jesus at his word. You are clean. But there's a second lesson in our text. And this lesson is intermingled with the first, isn't it? It's the more practical lesson, seemingly. Not only do we learn that we're washed by Christ, but then Jesus takes this very tangible lesson and calls us to serve one another. Look at verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Jesus, at the water basin, calls his disciples to serve one another. Now, there are some believers, it's a minority of believers, but some believers who say that this is Jesus giving another ordinance or sacrament. I don't think that's the language of Scripture here. I don't think we're meant to see baptism, Lord's Supper, and foot washing as the three sacraments of the church. I think Jesus is very clearly giving a lesson using physical, tangible things To point to a reality that goes beyond just foot washing. What is that lesson? We are to emulate. We are to follow after him. He is our example. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, verse 14, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I have served you, you ought to serve each other. I said that there were just two main points, but perhaps there are a couple of secondary points under this one. There are at least three here. Firstly, we see the example, don't we, of what it's like to serve others. The example. The question, if our master has done it to us, how can we not serve one another? That's Jesus' question. If he truly is, and he is, the Lord and Master... And he does it and gives us the example. Ought we then to do it? The example. Christ is our example in how we serve others. But secondly, we get a view of the mindset of serving others, don't we? This is a little bit of a twist on that same point. 
How can we not consider the service that we are called to because we are actually servants of our great master? Not only is he our example, but the mindset here is that we ought to be humble and willing to serve because our master has stooped to serve us first. There's a mindset that's involved here. Verse 16, most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. There's a mindset here of humble service. But a related and yet distinct third point is that this passage helps us to consider our view of others. Again, look at verse 16. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. How can we not regularly consider our place in the kingdom? When we observe Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, we are servants of Christ and our master has served us. Therefore, our view of others should never be that we are lords over them. Ever should we have that view. For Christ is Lord over us and he has served. Since we are never lords over each other, we ought to serve. You know, there are perhaps many different mindsets in the room Peter demonstrates one, not fully understanding that Christ has come to serve (laughs) and that if Christ doesn't serve in the greatest way, i.e. laying down his life for Peter, Peter will never be saved. But think about the average church. Think about the average group of believers at such a Passover foot washing. How many believers are there, perhaps, who might ask questions like this? Why hasn't anyone served me? Why doesn't anyone want to serve in the way that I want them to serve? The list could go on and on and on. But see, our view of one another from such a passage is that we are called to serve. And our master has stooped to serve, giving us an example, demonstrating to us what a mindset is. And so when I look at you and you look at me and we look at each other, how can we not regularly consider that our place in the kingdom is a place of serving one another, not lording over one another? In this simple water basin encounter, Jesus teaches his disciples and those who through them Hear the word of Christ to this day by the spirit. Jesus shows them that they are washed. They're made clean, but by Christ alone. And even those who will still wrestle with sin are made clean. Now, you know, when you say that. Perhaps. It strikes you as. Shouldn't we say, though, that we ought not to sin? Shouldn't we qualify that? 
And the answer, of course, is yes, we ought not to sin. Later on, the word of God tells us that believers do not make a practice of sinning. That believers repent of sin. But brothers and sisters, in our zeal for holiness, we need not also blunt the glorious mercy of the gospel. And part of the subtle way that we might blunt the mercy of the gospel is by the Peter complex. There's something, though, that I must do. Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You are clean. So if you're here tonight and you love the Savior who washed you, he will increasingly be forging in you a desire not to sin. But we can linger in John 13 long enough to see that the person that he said to that to is going to fail miserably within hours. We don't have time tonight, but we could turn over and read the account of Peter's disastrous sin. Peter's shameful behavior. Peter, the one who is going to go from high and lofty words of service to the lowest place where he won't even let a servant girl know that he knows Jesus. You have those kind of highs and lows? You ever go from here down to here within a matter of hours? The preacher of Pentecost did. And do you know what upheld him throughout the rest of his days as he thought back on how within a matter of hours in his master's worst moments, he went from highs, I will lay down my life to you, down to... I don't know him, to a servant girl. Do you know what sustained him? Jesus says in the book of Luke what sustains him internally. Jesus' intercession. Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So when you rise, return and minister to your brothers. I think... The other thing that we ought to see that sustained Peter throughout his life was that shortly before he denied his Savior, his Savior said to him, you are clean. You, Peter, are clean. Maybe in this room there is one or there are many who are battling with the discouragement that comes from having Sunday morning highs. I will lay down my life for the Christ to Thursday evening blues. I can't even tell a servant girl that I know Jesus. And before your Thursday morning or evening blues come, Jesus says to you, Christian, you are clean. And he gives you the lesson at the water basin that he is the one that does the washing. 
And that when there is dust on your feet, you wash them again in the glorious gospel. You repent and you lean on him. And then you spend your days serving other believers because they are believers whose identity is bound up not in their personality that you like or don't like. Their identity is not bound up in how well they serve you. The believers that you are called to serve are the believers over which Jesus Christ has also said, you are clean. So serve them. Let's pray. Almighty God, give us the mindset of Christ increasingly. When we're weary from viewing our own failures, encourage us that Christ, knowing all of our failures in advance, would go to the cross, the ultimate water basin for all of eternity, and He would pour out His blood and wash every bit of us in His blood. And He would declare us clean. He would send His Spirit into our souls that we might serve Him and serve one another. And Lord, if we are tempted to forget who the others are in the faith that we're called to walk alongside, give us the right mindset as we look back to our example that Christ laid down His life for them. How I want to grow in my service to them. Help us to learn these two lessons at the water basin, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.